We praise the Lord for that beautiful music, for all the different aspects of our worship service today. We do praise the Lord that he is with us in a special way. Keep this handy for the closing hymn. (laughs) We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to be looking there in your Bibles, Hebrews 2, 1 through 18. While you're looking in your Bibles, I just want to say we miss Pastor Lee Shellnut. Some of you may not know him who are missing us on the internet. He's away on vacation uh, again today. He'll be back soon. He's probably wondering, uh, what are we doing while he's gone? Are we celebrating Christmas in June? What is really happening? <laughs> he thinks he better get on back here quick and get this thing straightened out. I hope you'll see why in a, in a few minutes. <clears throat> Let us read Hebrews 2, 1 through 18. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable in every transgression or disobedience, received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for your word. We thank you that it reveals to us our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for your blessing to apply it to our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> One of the most interesting stories in the Bible, and I think most of our children here today have probably heard it or studied it, is when Peter was out walking on the water. This is a very uh, interesting thing. It's one thing that's hard for a lot of people to believe, but it certainly is true, and it certainly happened. There was a storm that came down on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and some of the disciples were in a little boat out in the middle of the sea, and they were starting to get worried about the wind and the waves. But all of a sudden, they saw somebody coming, walking over the water, and they thought it was a ghost. It turned out it was Jesus. Now, Peter is the kind of impetuous one, and as soon as he heard it was Jesus, he said, Lord, let me come out there with you. And he said, come, go ahead, do it. <laughs> so Peter stepped out of the boat, and he walked on the water. What an amazing thing. It's unheard of. It's only been happened once in history. And when Peter, who was doing so well, quit looking at Jesus and started looking around him at the dangers he began to sink right into that danger. And it wasn't only until he cried out to Jesus and let Jesus pull him back up that he was saved. <clears throat> we want to see in Hebrews 2, it's kind of a story of two men. The first Adam and the second Adam that God sent to us, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that God created man perfect. With a perfect dominion over all the creation, he was responsible to take care of the garden, but also the whole creation that God had made. And God made him perfect. It's like uh, the, the uh, writer of Hebrews is thinking about Psalm 8, and he even uh, quotes it here. <clears throat> uh, God had created Adam very good and perfect, and uh, they had a lot of privilege. Psalm 8 says, It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is a great vision that we have of our great God who put a perfect world in place and perfect people to take care of it. But just like Peter who only stayed on top of the water for a short time, Unfortunately, it seems we don't know exactly how long they were in the state of sinless perfection. But they also <clears throat> fell. They also took their eyes off of God, and they also fell into sin. The sin of Adam and Eve turned the created order upside down. Adam was supposed to be on top, governing, taking care. But when he sinned, everything's turned over, and he suddenly becomes the one who is governed by everything around him. One of the greatest understatements in the Bible is here in chapter 8. It's like the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews is looking at the glory he's taken up by Psalm 8 and he's rejoicing, but all of a sudden he also looks around at the world around him. It's like uh, today he might look at the newspaper and see the headlines. He might see some on TV and have to turn it off real quick. 
He says, God created everything so wonderful, but in this wonderful, terrible understatement that God gives us in this, in this uh, passage, one of the greatest under, understatements in all uh, the world, he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you noticed. <laughs> you just look around, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Sure, a long time ago in the Garden of Eden, but now the world is put into sin and misery. He, he was at the uh, highest honor, and now he's taken down. Question 19 of the Shorter Catechism, Westminster, says, what is the misery of that estate wherein man fell? And the answer, all mankind by their fall, lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. The writer takes us from the highest honor to the greatest disappointment. Adam and Eve were lords of the earth. They could eat of any tree of the garden. They had complete freedom to do whatever they wanted, except for one tree. And sure enough, you guessed it. That's the one tree that they decided to eat of. They had it all, but in a moment of weakness. But what happened? God said, don't eat of that tree. So instead of just going about their business and focusing on what they had to do, focusing on God, I mean, they were having communion with God every afternoon, every day. God himself, face to face. No sin in between, no problems. And they threw all that away because they kind of started getting too close to that tree. They started looking at it. And wherever you put your eyes, it's where your heart will go. And sure enough, Satan came in and tempted and brought down uh, that wonderful couple. Eve looked at the fruit and said it was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was something to make a person wise. Well, she picked that out and she ate it. And wise indeed. What did she learn immediately when she ate? She wasn't happy just the, the knowledge of good. She wanted and fell into the knowledge of good and evil. She learned about suffering. She learned about shame. Adam and Eve, right away, they had knowledge of the fact that they were, in, that they were shameful before God. They tried to run and hide from God. They tried to cover up what they had done, and they were separated from their wonderful communion. They soon learned of death and sadness also, when Cain, their son, killed Abel, their other son. Death and suffering had come into the world. Instead of joyful, creative, fulfilling work, all down through the years, most people have had exhausting, toilsome, debilitating labor, especially all down through human history. The great majority of people have had this one, uh, terrible, uh, toilsome kinds of work. In addition to all of that, for Eve, she also learned of the great pain in giving birth. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't so great after all. It has taken us all into a, a state of sin and misery. God's people down through the centuries have had times of rebellion and open sin. 
For example, we read earlier in the service of the Israelites out in the wilderness who were murmuring. God had given them this wonderful provision out in the middle of the desert. And they started murmuring about it. So God sent them uh, punishment in the form of snakes. How interesting that the serpent who had uh, tempted Eve, God now uses serpents as a punishment for his people in the wilderness. God's people, they have murmured against God. It was the evil serpent who deceived Eve and trapped Adam. Romans 8, 20 and 22 says the creation was subjected to futility. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin came into the world, and death by sin, and death spread to all, to all men, because all sinned. Men and women are now sentenced to death. Many die by natural causes, but also by disease, accidents, violence, and murder. Most mothers are willing to endure the severe, severe pain of childbirth because they love their babies so much. But too many more, for different reasons, betray the bond of maternal love and give their babies over to violent deaths through abortion. Some of the means of why they do that is because men encourage them or even force them to do it. We're all sinful in our hearts. The news has been filled for about five months now with news about COVID-19. And then for the last couple of weeks or a few weeks about the horrible death of George Floyd and about the riots and looting that have come uh, since that happened. Instead of being the Lord of the earth, instead of being in charge and having other, everything under our control, we see chaos, we see problems, we see unrest. Genesis 6-5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Are we back to that point today? Or how far away are we from it? We could go on indefinitely listing horrible results of the sin in the world, but we can summarize that mankind, who was in control of the whole world, is now not able to control even himself. He cannot control the weather. He cannot control diseases, earthquakes, volcanoes, or even himself or other people. Having lost the ability to rule justly, as Adam and Eve were supposed to rule over the world, he now rules by force, violence, coercion, and deceit. And we see this all down through history. The more power that some ruler gets, the more abusive and more oppressive that power becomes. It's a grim picture as we look around us, but we do not need to despair. There is more to the story. Hebrews 2.9 goes on to say, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. God has provided a new Adam to restore the creation order. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For in Adam all men die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. We have another change here. We have another transition. 
We went from the glory of Adam and Eve to the misery of sin and death. But now we have hope. Now we see the new Adam, Jesus Christ, on the horizon. He was made a little lower than the angels. That was a great honor for mankind to be exalted to a position above the angels or right below the angels. But for Jesus Christ, it was humiliating to be below the angels. He was a son of God. God himself humbled himself and came down, being lower than the angels. So the great news is that we do see Jesus. But where do we see Jesus? Some people look for him out in nature. Uh, thankfully, Pastor Lee knows where to find Jesus. He's not looking for Jesus out in nature. He's just looking for relaxation. But how many people? <laughs> how many people you go on YouTube? You see all these uh, travel videos and you see people kind of sitting there and uh, meditating. And that's probably real good for your health. It's good for your peace of mind. But you're not going to find Jesus that way. You can see the glory of God in the creation. God reveals himself in nature. But not uh, verbally in terms of how to be saved. It doesn't give the details of Jesus Christ and how he came into this world. We can only see Jesus as we look to him in the word of God in the Bible. But also in what way do we see Jesus? How do we see him? There were demons in the New Testament who saw Jesus. And we look in Revelation and we see that there were people who saw Jesus coming in glory, coming or coming in the future or in the past, however you look at it. But as they saw Jesus coming in glory, they were terrified. They called for the rocks to come down and cover them. So some people see Jesus and they're afraid, they're terrified. Other people, such as the leaders of the Jews, saw Jesus and they were threatened and they became angry. And they sought to kill him and eventually did kill him. But some people are angry and some people are just indifferent. There's so many people. We know Jesus healed a lot of people. The multitudes came out to hear him. But how many people just didn't care? How many people just stayed in their houses? And that's the way it is today. The great majority of people have no interest in the Bible and the Christian religion. There's a lot of people interested in religion and there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but how many people are really looking to Jesus? But some people looked at him the wrong way, but some people could not wait to see him. Remember Anna and Simeon? They were coming every day to the temple. They were old, but all their lives they've been waiting. They've been anxious to see the Messiah. They were looking forward to seeing Jesus. And sure enough, God gave them that opportunity to hold the baby in their hands. Blind Bartimaeus, he couldn't see with his physical eyes, but when he heard that Jesus was coming, he got up and shouted, have mercy on me, son of David. And God gave, uh, Jesus gave him his sight. And he was so happy and excited to be able to see Jesus with his physical eyes. We think of little Nicodemus, he was short in stature. And he wanted to see Jesus so badly that he had to climb up a tree. He was a tax collector. He was an important guy in his community. And here he goes, humbling himself to climb a tree to see the Lord Jesus. The people of Israel who had been bitten in the wilderness was ha were happy to look up at the snake, the bronze serpent. And that is a symbol of everyone who would like to look at Jesus today 
and see him uh, for the problems that we have. So what is the difference? What is the difference of those who look at him and are afraid, those who are indifferent, or those who are angry, and those who are so happy to see Jesus and longing to look to him? Of course, the difference is the eyes of faith. We see Jesus in his humiliation in Philippians 2, 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. By faith, we see Jesus lifted up on the cross. John 3, 14 and 15 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. By faith, we see Jesus exalted on high. Philippians 2, 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Faith is the difference. Faith is a great difference in how we can see Jesus. Now faith, in Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We cannot see him with our physical eyes like Bartimaeus could at one point, but we can see him by faith. We can open our hearts, we can open our minds in faith and look to Jesus as we find him in the Bible. So are you seeing Jesus today by faith? Praise God if that is the case. Keep it up. Let's lay aside every weight that hinders and run with patience and with faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So even the faith that we have comes from God. We can't boast, we can't be prideful, because that would just be another sin added on top of everything else. God himself gives us the faith. So to some people who doubt, look to Jesus. Jesus told Thomas to look at the marks in his hands and in his side. To those who doubt, Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. If you have sincere doubts, don't wait, don't put it off. Don't be indifferent. Ask questions, study, investigate. The claims of Jesus in the Bible are true. And you will soon see him as Thomas did if you truly search for him, their Lord and your God. Some may be looking from fear. You may have heard of God as being real angry and judgmental. That might be your idea of God and you're afraid to, to get close to him. You're afraid to, to try to find him. But Jesus is the one who humbled himself to come to this world. Jesus is the one who reached out his hands to Thomas and said, look at my hands, look at my side, and believe. So you can come to faith as well. Look to God in faith. Look to Jesus. He did it all on the cross. He paid it on the cross and offers you forgiveness and salvation. Don't hold back. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Look to Jesus as you see him in the Bible. Some may be angry with God. The problem when you get angry with God, you, you take your eyes really off of Jesus. You're really looking at circumstances that you don't like. You're looking at things around you. And that looking in the wrong direction takes you away from God. You think you're looking at God when you're angry, but you're really looking at all the problems around you. You're being like Peter on the water. You're taking your eyes off of Jesus. 
Get, go, let go of that anger. Let go of that resentment. Know that God does love. He also uh, does discipline, but he has a perfect plan. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. As we look to Jesus in faith, though, there's another thing to think in mind, keep in mind. We must also see ourselves as we are, see ourselves as God sees us. We must believe what God says about us, that we are sinners and we need his grace. If we are believing in faith for the first time, or if we have believed for a long time, we both need to daily repent. We need to daily seek cleansing. We daily need to renew our fellowship with him. We need to go to the word of God every day and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews looked at the fallen world around him, but without missing a beat, he turned his eyes to Jesus in faith. May we all do the same today. We first saw that God created Adam and Eve perfect and with authority over all creation, but they fell into sin. The first Adam failed, but God sent Jesus, the second Adam, to take his place. When the writer of Hebrews said, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, it was indeed a great understatement. But when God did send his son into the world, there was no understatement. There was humility because God became a man. Jesus took on flesh and was born as a human being, which was humbling. Also, Jesus was born in a stable, and the first announcement of his birth was to lowly shepherds. So there was humility in this first announcement, but there was also great glory and praise. The announcement itself was glorious. It was given by a mighty angel. He was in the heavens, and the, and the whole host of angels joined him. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men of goodwill. Now you see why we celebrate Christmas today. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And that one verse is so great. No more let sin and sorrow grow, or thorns infest the ground. He has come to change it all. He's come to put it all back right. As long as we look to him, as long as we have fellowship with him, we once again have peace and we have assurance and we have confidence. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. As we abide in him, he gives us life and he gives us hope. Glory to God in the highest. Colossians 1, 18 and 19 says that he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Look to him in faith, not in doubt or fear or indifference, but look to him in faith. Now, As we close, we want to notice that in the beginning of this chapter 2 of Hebrews, the writer says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, 
How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let us not neglect our great salvation brought to us by such a great Savior. How can we forget him? How can we fail to love him who gave his life for us? He lives and reigns forever to love us and help us in all our needs. Yes, we do have times of joy and peace in our lives, but we also have times of difficulties and trials and sorrows. Our world may seem to be out of chaos, out of control and in chaos, but we are not without hope. We have our hope in Jesus. We join together by faith to worship him, to look to him who died for us. Let's close with that same verse we've been looking at today. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Amen.